This podcast is produced by The Brand is Female. Hi, I'm Mungi. Welcome to the Everyday Ubuntu podcast. Make sure whatever you're doing now is, you know, based on your experiences in the past, make sure you take in the best of the past and that you have learned from the past. So the bad stuff, you can't throw it away, but you should at least have learned from it. If you're in the tech and startup space, you're probably very used to hearing about the pipeline problem when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion. My guest this week shares why it's not actually a pipeline problem, but instead a power problem. Suki Fuller is a VC, a competitive intelligence professional, and an analytical storyteller. In this episode, she explains to us what an analytical storyteller does and how she got into it. Spoiler alert, she's definitely the first and maybe even the only one. Suki is elevating humanity through her work and her existence. And after this interview, you may be wishing that you could work with her too. Suki Fuller, welcome to Everyday Ubuntu. Thank you for joining me. How are we? I am uh, good. Thank you very much for having me, Mungi. I really appreciate it. I'm honored. You do not need to be honored. Um, Well, I'm going to jump right in and ask my favorite question that uh, my mom helped me come up with. And she always says that our resumes are not a full explanation of who we are as a person. And so I wanna know what you would say is missing from your resume that people should know about you. (laughs) I I always hate that question. (laughs) What's missing from your resume? Every, everybody's mom always says that. Well, mm, they look at it and go, well, how come you didn't put this on here? (laughs) So, so I always, I always think about it in that regard, but well, my mom and what is missing from my resume? Um, well, everybody knows I love penguins cause that's on there. So can't put that out there. <laughs> I would say it's the fact that I was an electroplating chemical engineer for four years. And, uh, so basically anything that has a metal finish on it, like Harley Davidson bodies, um, aerospace engineering pieces for aircraft. That's what I was electroplating that nice polish that you get on things. That's what I was working on. A lot of people don't know that it's not on there. I didn't know that. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Okay. Well, could you give us a brief description of who you are? You know, I was, I was doing my reading and saw all these different titles, strategic and competitive intelligence, professional analytic storyteller. What does someone with those titles do? I always tell people analytical storyteller is basically explaining what an intelligence professional does. So the analytical part is the quantitative part, which is the data, it's the information. And the storyteller part is the qualitative part. And that's the people. And that's the story of how something Mm -hmm. comes together. And so analytical storyteller is I tell the story of data. And that's essentially what you do as a competitive intelligence person. You're actually figuring out the information, taking all of the data and the information that's there, pulling it all together by collating it, analyzing it, and then helping somebody make a decision, which is the dissemination. Okay. So how does someone become the person that tells the story of data or an analytical storyteller? (laughs) I just think that's the funniest question, but not because it's a bad question, but because 
I think there are some people that wouldn't call themselves analytical storytellers, mainly because they don't have the storytelling element to their personality. And I think I coined the phrase, I should probably trademark it, right? <laughs> um, but within my particular field, um, most people, if you work on the government side, are usually very much a mixture, uh, but more quantitative more people that work on the corporate side are very much storytellers, especially if you are a practitioner versus if you're just someone who works within a particular corporate department. So it's that mix of being able to tell the story of data, explain it to someone in layman's terms. And when you come out of school and you have an intelligence studies degree, we're basically taught to explain the information and the data to a senior executive or to a government official so that, you know, <laughs> dare I say, a president who is not quite with it can understand the most basic thing. And we won't even go there to that one because it didn't work, obviously. Not quite with it. <laughs> I love that. You got me there. I like just lost my train of thought. Um, okay, so I think the 50-50 pledge feels very important in the startup and sort of VC venture capital ecosystem. Can you tell my listeners more about it and why you became a co-founder of the movement? So it, it really came out of a conversation that I had with a friend of mine who is a partner at um, Notion and uh, Notion Capital. Mm -hmm. And ironically, he is a well, he's now 50, like 53, but at the time he was 50 year old white male VC, um, a very successful uh -huh. himself, a very successful founder, which is how he got to be a VC. And, you know, Notion Capital was a SaaS fund. And he realized that the majority of their portfolio were male founders and that the females that they had that were founders, most of them were people that he had, you know, brought in, or he was like the lead investor. And he was like, wait a minute, why is this? Why are my co-founders not? Okay, whatever. Then he started looking around and he realized, wait a minute, there aren't a lot of female partners out there. And it, it sort of really hit him when his daughter, who was in university at the time, was having problems. And then he's friends with me and I was having this conversation with him about one the lack of his portfolio looking so good and then that his fund didn't have any female partners at the time and i i kind of stuck it to him <laughs> and, and then we just had a conversation about all the funds that were out there and i think it really when you when you're friends with people sometimes they don't really see it that way until it, it hits them in the face and uh -huh. something happens in their life. I can definitely say for a lot of white male VCs, it usually happens that something will happen to their daughter, their wife, a sister, some female in their life. And that's when it really hits home for them that there is a problem. And even though they're aware there's a problem, it's it doesn't really take hold until something happens very close to someone they know. And we just had this conversation. We were having this conversation about it. And we said, well, how do we get more females into the pipelines of companies? How do we get more females to be partners? Well, 
well, let's just see what's going on out there. We went, talked to a couple people, talked to some different funds, said, would you sign up to this? Are you saying, would you agree that you want to have females be partners in your fund, that you're going to invest in more females being partners, that you're going to help educate more female founders so that when they either exit their companies or they decide they want to do something else, that becoming a venture partner, a venture fund, is a, a venture capitalist, is something that is an option for them versus not even being consideration. And it, we got a couple companies, a couple funds to sign up, but it was really hard going. It was a, a long slog. Everybody kept saying it wasn't a priority. And, uh, and this was 2017, 2018. So it, it, it really wasn't, you know, it wasn't a priority for them. Fine. Well, in the interim, while we couldn't get them to sign up for the 50, 50 pledge, the partners at notion and one of the guys there said, well, you know, we kind of want to still keep going with this. And I said, why don't we do something similar to Kaufman fellows? I said, well, you know, we had actually had a conversation with Kaufman Fellows and they didn't want to partner with us, but that's okay. <laughs> but then Notion got 10 funds to sign up to what is now called the Included VC. And it's a training program, okay. a fellowship program where it's open to anybody who's underrepresented. So it's males, females, and people that, you know, have decided that whatever they want to call themselves, you know, under anybody who's underrepresented basically um, can sign up for that. And it's a fellowship program. So that's in its second, I think a second cohort. So it's really nice to see that what started out as a 50, 50 pledge kind of grew and became something else. And 50, 50 pledge, we actually kind of officially shut it down the beginning of the year, but we still do things around it. But it's it, it it was it was great to just know that you start something off, and it sparks a fire, and it grows, and it grows into something that can actually help people. So, yeah. Well, okay. So you mentioned you know there are people that you were speaking to, and they're saying, okay, this is not really a priority for us right now. And I know that you have said you know, the low number of black women in tech has nothing to do with the pipeline being bad. It's a power problem. And so could you expand on what that power problem is? Do you, you know, do you see differences or similarities between the UK and the US in this regard at all? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't think it's a, a US and a UK issue. I think it's just a global issue of people that have power. When you have power, you don't want to give up your power. You don't want to cede it. You don't mm -hmm. want to, you know, it, the biggest, I'd say that's probably the biggest thing in the world is that people, people never want to give up their power. And in the tech world and in the VC world, usually the people holding the power are men, um, disproportionately white men. <laughs> and yep in order for them to what they perceive as giving up their power, they feel like they're going to lose something when in fact, you know, I just don't understand why people don't realize that in order for them to have 
something more powerful, if they include more people that are different, it will become more powerful because it's more robust. And now people are beginning to see the numbers, whereas those numbers have always been there. They just have not ever looked for the numbers. And now that people are actually looking, pulling those numbers out, you know, parsing out the data saying, here, look, and it's basically pretty much the same numbers that you would have seen 20 years ago, (laughs) except no one was really looking at the numbers because there was a decline in the amount of women and the amount of black women that were working in tech in the last, I think it's like something like the last 15 years. I mean, it was a, there was a higher number in the 80s than there is now. And that's a little scary. Wow. That is very scary. Um, what are some meaningful actions that you've seen or advise startups and scale-ups to take to combat sexism and racism? Can I come back to that question? <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, yeah. with some of the... I'd say with one of the things that I have noticed just in the most recent recent years is that a lot of startups, especially those started by women, all seem to focus on things that were focused just for women. Uh-huh. And at the time it seemed like, okay, that's that's it's great because nobody was servicing us anyways. <laughs> But it seemed like that was the barrier for people to get funded because men didn't recognize the issue. But now you're seeing, even as women are doing that, men are becoming more aware, oh, wait, yeah, that's considered a women's issue, but that's really an issue for everybody if it's affecting women. And, well women make up more than half of the world's population. So this is going to make me money. So it's it's like, it's really weird. You're just seeing sort of this shift and it's not always about doing something that's good for people in general. It's just, now it's just about the money. They're just seeing that. Yeah. The bottom line, you know, we're going to make money off of this because there are a lot of women and they're going to come and buy it. So, Hey, that's good for us, but they still are clueless about what the issue is. And I've seen more female founders, more female partners are working on the activism aspect of informing people, hey, yeah, this is great for your bottom line, but you also need to understand the bigger issue here. And I I, I like that change. I really do. It's, It's the sort of the societal aspect as well as the economic aspect. I guess it, I guess it would be conscious capitalism. You know, it it is yeah. basically people are very much aware of it's not just always about the money. <laughs> well, I mean it's it's like in the US if 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 we actually made sure to focus on black women, then everyone else would also benefit from that. <laughs> yes. I don't know why people don't understand understand because mm-hmm. At the very core, I always tell people, at the very core of everything that has gone right in the world of medicine, it came down to a black woman's DNA when it comes to cancer treatment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, hello, Henrietta Lacks. <laughs> Does anybody want to talk about that? <laughs> you know, it's it's when you think about 
right now you have people saying, oh, we don't want to take the vaccine. We don't know if it's being been tested for people that are black and people are going, well, why do you think that? You know, why do you have an issue with that? And I, it really does astound me that the historical aspects surrounding how medication and how things are developed and have previously been developed and how medical practices have not been beneficial for black people and how we've been experimented. And it's uh-huh. just like astounding to me. Like, do you not understand that? You could just go to Wikipedia and look up one simple thing. Just type that sentence in there and you'll see. You know, I, I had to explain somebody to somebody about Tuskegee and they thought I was talking about Tuskegee yeah. Airmen. And I was like, no. <laughs> I'm like, there's a whole other area of history around that word. And it has to do with experimentation. And it's medical experimentation. And the last person recently died. Yeah, we're not very good at history, I would I'd say. say um, unfortunately, in the US, it's a willful, ignorance. yeah, it's a willful ignorance and a, and a willful sort of mm, exploitation of the things that are positive, that are deemed positive for the white community when looking at black history it's like oh look martin luther king <laughs> you know let's let's not forget the fact that you killed him but <laughs> but let's talk about you know <sighs> i have a dream you know that's a great speech and that's all they ever want to talk about and they don't want to talk about the things that they did that were bad they would say well you know yeah we got rid of slavery you know oh yeah you know we have the amendments and yeah and you, you can vote now but nobody wants to talk about the struggles the strife the hardship uh that that it took to get there they want to gloss over mm-hmm. it and in the uk they don't even want to acknowledge that they had that history they're like well you know we were the first place to abolish slavery hello i think maybe you might possibly have invented it <laughs> i was gonna say who started it yeah the uk is like what do you mean racism yeah. and the us is like no we've never been racist it's yeah it's uh what doesn't touch me doesn't matter to me yeah basically. it's it's and it's um at this point right now in the world it is very you're sitting there and you're looking at how the world is reacting to this pandemic, how the world is reacting to the things politically. And it's just astounding. It's astounding because we have this time where so much information is available. So many people are able to find out and to reach out and to speak to people on the other side of the world. And they've all become insular and not wanting to do it. And this is the time when we really should be reaching out. I mean, this is something affecting every single person on the planet. And absolutely, you don't want to talk to somebody on the other side of the world because mm, they're slightly different. <laughs> it's it's astounding to me, absolutely astounding. Well, I was going to ask you if you feel you know change happening in the UK in terms of equality, or if you think people in power are really just sort of paying lip service to it. Um, but I feel like maybe I kind of know the lip answer. <laughs> yeah, lip service. I mean, we have a, a home secretary who 
said something about Black Lives Matter. She didn't agree with Black Lives Matter taking the knee and, and that it was wrong. And she is a woman of Asian descent. She's Indian. And I, I'm just like, who, who are you? And I think here in the UK, what it is, is there are people that are wanting to belong so much to something that is not ever going to welcome them. Just like in the US, it's, it's, I'm really conflicted sometimes because I spent time in the US Army Reserves. And Mm -hmm. so there is sort of this element of me, like, you know, like I'm protecting freedom, but then I think, well, it's a freedom where I'm not even considered a free person, really. <laughs> Worthy of yeah. that freedom. And, it's, and then here in the UK, you have people that are so badly wanting to say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm British. Meanwhile, there are people here going, uh, no, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're not. You know, they don't even want to give you that, that, that title. And you were born here. There are people that are not even first generation British. They are people that are from, you know, another country. So maybe they might be Polish and they have moved here and within the last 20 years because of the European Union and they voted right. for Brexit for people to get kicked out of the country, not realizing that that means that they themselves would not even be welcome here now. But they are saying that somebody who is black, who was born in South London, whose parent was born in Birmingham, is not British. And it's just, it's like, it begs belief. It really does. It's just, <laughs> it, you just look around and go, and has rational thought left this planet? You don't want my answer on that. <laughs> Yeah, I think it went to Mars. I think maybe everybody is like waiting to go up there with Elon Musk or something. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I'm, I'm caught me out of that. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a whole nother issue, him. <laughs> <laughs> and and he's South African. Um, yeah, mm. we won't talk about that, you know, the, the worship of him and, you know, the fact that he is not self-made and let's not talk about how his family did make their money. Well, I don't think anyone is self-made, so we are on the same page there. Um, but okay, so clearly we're you know we're in this moment of of COVID. We've basically almost hit a full year of it really affecting us, and I think everyone has sort of hit a wall, and we're all having tough moments. But I think, in addition to COVID, you know, sometimes being a black woman, especially in a field like yours those moments can be even tougher. And I'm wondering if there's some mantra or quote or faith that sustains you and, and keeps you going. So there are a couple things. <laughs> mm-hmm. Tell me, we need, we need all the knowledge. Planting. Um, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> um, so there's this painting called Allegory of Prudence. And it's by Titian, who's a 16th century Italian artist. And the picture as a wolf um, is like, so it's like on one level, there's an old man and he's looking to, I guess that would be looking backwards. There's a, um, 
a mature man in the middle who's looking facing whoever's looking at the picture and then there's a picture of there's a, a younger guy looking the other way and superimposed on top of those it's a wolf associated with the old man a lion associated with the man the mature man and a dog associated with the youth and those represent the past the present and the future and there's a phrase in there an inscription it's in latin i won't even attempt the latin i failed latin and i was only like six um oh my god <laughs> i was really good in latin i was the only student in my latin class my senior year so Oh, we can try it afterwards. I, I didn't even try. I didn't even get that far. <laughs> I was like, I don't ever want to take that language ever again. <laughs> but the, the phrase, the inscription, it's basically translates to from the experience of the past, the present acts prudently, lest it spoil future actions. Wow. And I, that that's pretty much my mantra. So even on my website, I have, you know, challenge and embrace. And I say challenge and embrace the past for awareness, listen and acknowledge in the present to advocate and then connect and manage the future so that you can take action. And so that is what I mean, literally that is, I have that challenge and embrace, listen and acknowledge, connect and manage. It is on my wall. It is, it is as well as a phrase like be like Mike. Um, yeah. <laughs> and it's on one of my whiteboards and it's also on my website that I live by that. I just live by that. Like make sure whatever you're doing now is, you know, based on your experiences in the past, make sure you're taking the best of the past and that you have learned from the past. So the bad stuff, you can't throw it away, but you should at least have learned from it. Mm -hmm. And you take the good stuff. And if you can make that good stuff better, if you can make it excellent, then by all means do that and make sure whatever you're doing now is really going to really have an impact on what happens in the future. That for me, legacy is my life. I, you know, I don't have children. I just want to make sure that at the end of my life, when someone says, what are you most proud of? What are you happy that you've done? You know, what, what do you want to say? You know, my last breath. And all I want to say is I hope that I left the world in a better place than when I came into it. That's right. all I could ever hope for. And to know that I had a positive impact that and being like Mike. <laughs> okay. I like that. I like that. Okay, well, so you mentioned your website. And also I saw on your website, it said something about elevating humanity. And so what does that mean to you? And how, how does one, well, you, how do you elevate humanity? I always, for me, it's making sure that I am, I would say, being of service to others, it sounds so trite but it, it really is. I just want to make sure that I can help people be the best and mm -hmm. do the best that they can. I, I really do think that's what my purpose is, is to help people do that. That I, I always tell people I feed off of the energy of others. So I am at my core personality. I'm 
pretty much an introvert. And as I've gotten older, I've become more of an ambivert and more, uh, you know, I, I flip to an extrovert when necessary. But for me, whenever I'm around people, whenever I get to be in the same room as people and speak to people, I want them to come away from that conversation being a better person, having more knowledge, having a better understanding of something, or I don't know, it's not, I wouldn't say inspiring, but just knowing that I gave that some person something more, added more to their life instead of taking from their life. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I mean, I would say after our first meeting, I definitely came away inspired. And I think it was partially due to the champagne, but also down to you. <laughs> Probably uh, skewed more <laughs> towards the champagne. <laughs> you know, just a few hours of fun. But no, I, I, I totally agree with that. And I, I think speaking from experience, you know, we, we had a short lunch that turned into like a full day of lunch. And you were giving a lot of great advice to me and the other young women there. And I wonder what is advice you would give to young women listening to this podcast? Unquestionably, maintain your integrity. If there is mm -hmm. one thing that I, that I can say that I've seen throughout any, any area of my career has been when people allow their integrity to be hindered to be stomped on uh -huh. it, it is maintain your integrity because i'd say that's probably the only true thing that you have and Oof, yeah. and and that's from you know personal and professional and once that is damaged it's really hard to come back from that that is that is very true oh goodness and, and even i think even if it I would say even sometimes if it's a detriment to yourself at the time, because you can always look back. And I know that I can look back on things that have happened in my career. And I've often thought I really should have said something. And, you know, 15 years later, it's not that I regret that I didn't say something, but I always think I could have said something. I could have been a lot more stronger in my stance. Yeah. And it would have sat better, but at the time you're thinking, oh, I don't want to say that it might, you know, it might hurt my prospects. And now that I'm, you know, I'm not old, but now that I'm older, I, old. I think you're definitely not old. I think to myself, you know what? There's, there are times when you have to be willing to draw a line in the sand. And I've gotten to that point where I'm willing to draw a line in the sand and say, this is not right. And I will not, I, I will walk away and which is probably why I'm not in a billionaire or a millionaire's club because I have been willing to walk away. And there are people that are around me. There are people, especially in the VC field and in the advisory field, they are willing to take the money and compromise themselves. And I am not willing to do it. I will just walk away. I'm just like, I want to know that I can sleep better because at the end of my life, I can't take it with me. Yep. And while I can give it to somebody else, I want to make sure that whatever I'm given was not gotten by ill methods. Yeah. If it starts bad, it, it usually ends bad. 
Yeah, there's no, I, I like that. I, when I think about it, I, I think if I have to relay this story to my mother at a later date, am I going to be proud of how I responded or not? <laughs> it always comes back to our mothers. It's, it's always the mom. Well, I was going to ask you how you define dignity, but I feel like your answer sort of veered into that. And, you know, being able to walk away, having that strength. It is the, the strength and the power to walk away. And I also think being able to say no without without apology, apology, without explanation, just being able to say no and to maintain that steadfast. I think a lot of times when we say no, we feel that we have to explain it. Right. And there is no greater thing than a dignified no. Well, so a quote that I keep seeing attributed to you that I want to make sure that people hear is some advice that you give to women when they have to pitch. Do you know the quote I'm speaking of? <laughs> I don't know. There are a bunch of them. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm going to say it, and then I'd love for you to give us just a little a bit of the, the idea behind it. But it's practice your pitch with someone interrupting you, which I think is so damn clever. It's the epitome of being a woman in business. It's the epitome of being a girl in school. Because we all know when we're a girl in school, we put our hand up to answer a question. And it doesn't matter if this is 50 years ago, a hundred years ago, yesterday, that there's always some boy that is willing to interrupt mm -hmm. just because, because they are, they have that power, even though they don't actually, but <laughs> that's a whole nother issue, but because they have been taught that they have that power that they can interrupt a woman. So I always tell the women, you know what? This is something that's, it's already in our brain that we can function in this way. We can be speaking to a specific point. And when you're pitching, as long as you know where you were, what you need to explain, what you need to tell somebody, if you can practice that, you don't get thrown off when somebody interrupts you, you're golden. Because I have seen men time after time when they are pitching and somebody interrupts them, they, they don't know, they just get lost. Mm -hmm. They get lost. But a woman, because, hey, you know what? We're multitaskers, even though you know, there's a debate about multitasking, but that is the life of a woman. I don't care what anybody says. That is the life of a woman. We are multitaskers because that's what we've had to do in order to adapt to the way that society has developed based around a man. So in order for us to get some things done, we have to do three things at a time because nobody's actually telling us, hey, you know what? We've designed this bathroom and it's for a guy. So <laughs> there's nowhere to put your bag when you're in the bathroom. Oh, guess what? You have to balance it on yourself <laughs> or you put the hook, you know, your strap around your neck you know, whatever you have to do, we have done, we have done that. We just are able to pitch like someone's going to interrupt you. So when you're going through your pitch and you have 10 slides and you are at slide number three 
And that person you're pitching to has decided they want to go ahead and look at the slides ahead of time. And they're on slide number seven. And they say, can you explain slide number seven? And you haven't gotten there yeah. yet. You should be able to tell that story from slide number seven and come right back to slide number three to continue. And that's what I mean when I say you practice it like somebody's interrupting you. You go from slide one to slide 10, from slide 10 to slide six, from slide six to slide two. You should be able to do that because it's your story. I always tell them unequivocally, when you are pitching, it is your story. You own it. That person that you're speaking to does not own it. So you can speak to it and you should be able to tell it backwards, forwards, upside down, inverted, any way, shape or form that it needs to be. But you come back to make your point and end on your point. And that's it. I'm going to need to start preparing like that. It's it's thank you. It's the best thing in the world in in my field in the intelligence field. We have this thing called short form analytical reports. It's it's based on its long form analytical reports. It's based on the executive summary. So you have your executive summary first because when you're going in to brief somebody who is, you know, an advisor or a joint chief or something, they want the bottom line up front. That's also another acronym we use, bluff, bottom line up front. They want to know oh. the fastest piece of information that's more most relevant right up front. And so you then go into, you know, your summary of explaining that how you came to that decision, but they want to know what exactly you are advising. That's it. And the rest of it is the rest of the story but you should be able to go in, give them that top line and then explain the story. And sometimes they don't want the top line first. They want to know the story and then they want the top line. So you should be, you have to have that skill. And that's a skill that I think when people are in startups, people, anybody actually just across the board, doesn't matter if you're working in business or if you're working, you know, in a supermarket, you should be able to have that skill. Whatever you are doing, you own it. Mm -hmm. Employee, Absolutely. owner, whatever. It's you. You own what you're doing. Well, Suki, I'm going to ask you my two closeout questions. I'm very interested to hear your thoughts. What is your greatest fear for humanity? That people do not do not have any hope. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. Hey, I, I like honesty. And that that is true. I think that we've we've gone through some ebbs and flows with with no hope. Um, but I hope that it's it's coming back for people. I'm not sure. I always have that thought of no matter how bad my worst day is, there's always somebody on this planet whose day is worse. 100%. And I know that there are people that have worse days and they are still smiling and they are still hopeful. And yeah. so I think there's always some hope somewhere in the world that is making, you know, that's bringing that spirit around to all of us. You know, there's some there's somebody out there. There is some kid, you know, the greatest sound for me in the world 
is the sound of children laughing because it's unadulterated, unfiltered joy. They're not laughing because they have to laugh. They're laughing because there is something that has given them joy and they're laughing. There's no filter to it. Well, speaking of hope, what is your greatest hope for humanity? That we all get along. No. <laughs> I know that, that's, all right, that's, universe. that's, uh, World peace. yeah, that's one of those high strung things, but just the nature of human personality, there's always going to be struggle because people don't agree on everything. But, uh, my greatest hope is that, mm, that people do have hope. There's always someone striving to make the world a better place. And thank God for them. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> and I'd say that's, you know, I always tell people the most important thing in life is to remember that life is change. And people always say, well, you know, I, I, you know, I don't want things to change. I'm like, yes, you do. That's life. If there's no change, mm, for some people that might actually be that you're no longer here. <laughs> but yeah. for those that are here, life is change. Well, Suki, thank you so much for coming on Everyday Ubuntu. And it was lovely to speak with you again. Oh, thank you very much. I am very appreciative of you having me on, Mungi, and for the time. I hope you enjoyed this conversation today and don't forget to hit subscribe and give the show a rating and review wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Follow me at mungi.ingomane on Instagram. I'd love to hear from you and get your feedback on the show. I'll be back in a week with a new episode. Thank you for listening to Everyday Ubuntu.